0: Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We're a local church in Zeeland, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make him known. We invite you into this same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and to reveal himself to us in his word. Thanks for stopping by. First John chapter one. Would you stand with me please for the reading of the scripture this morning? We're going to begin in verse 5, and we're going to go through chapter 2 of verse 2. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say, we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. These are the very words of God. Let's pray. Father, we we stand in honor of your word which is really to stand in honor of the one who be, who was the word who is the word and became flesh and made his dwelling among us and god i pray that as we talk about these words today that these words would bring life to our lives i pray god that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to set upon the truth contained here so that we might learn in order to live for your glory. We bless you and we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Together, everyone said, amen. Please be seated. So John begins um, this next section. With some pretty strong words. If you want to think about how to structure what we just read together, you can think of it this way. Uh, he makes this propositional statement God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. And then he makes three if statements. He says, If we say, if we say, if we say. So if you kind of visual, you want to outline, think God is light. If we say, if we say, and if we say. And then there's responses to each one of those things that have been said. And so we're going to begin here where, where we need to. And that's the very first truth. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in Him. What does this mean? Well, it means that there is absolutely no darkness in God. None. None nada, for my Spanish-speaking friends, zip, zilch, there is no darkness in him. And what he's talking about is not just like what your eye perceives, although there is that, too, that we'll talk about in just a minute. It, It means, to say God is light means this. It means to say that God is utterly holy. He's utterly different than everyone else, than everything else, because in Him all truth, all holiness, all knowledge, all wisdom, all things that are good reside in God. So to say God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in Him, it's to say that God is holy. He has no sin in Him because He has never sinned. John has to start here because there are some claims made about sin in this passage and about light and darkness, which is a favorite theme of John's that he wants to clarify as he moves into this portion of his book. And I love the way that this one writer says or describes what's going on here. This is Dr. Thompson in the IVP New Testament commentary series. She says, God is pure light, not deluded or mixed in any way with evil, hatred, untruth, ignorance, or hostility. Okay? If that doesn't help paint a picture, it's, it's like night and day, literally. God is light is not a theoretical assertion about the nature of God, but a statement that drives us to the heart of what God is like. In other words, light describes both God's character and... And his conduct, all right. God's not just some somewhere out there in light. It's that when He acts, He acts in a way that has no dilution. It's not mixed with evil. It's not mixed with hatred, untruth, ignorance, or hostility. Those things are completely foreign to that which is light, namely God. So character and conduct, and the image of light is used throughout the Bible. Um, Some of these passages might be familiar to you. For example, we find um, God appearing to Moses in a bush that's burning but does not burn up, light. We, We find God leading the people of Israel with a pillar of fire by night, light. The psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation my light and my salvation. The prophet Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. John says in his gospel, we read this two weeks ago, in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness cannot understand it or cannot overcome it. Light is frequently used in the Bible to describe God's character and to describe how that character is lived out in action. He he's not he's pure light. He's not diluted, mixed in any way with evil, hatred, untruth, ignorance, or hostility. Um, in John eight, probably one of the most poignant um, phrases that is used in the Bible of light is when Jesus is speaking to the people, and he's speaking from the temple, and it's the Festival of Tabernacles, which is a, a festival that happens at really about this time of year. It's about to happen in the next few days, and. Um, and one of the things with tabernacles is, is it, as the days get shorter and the darkness gets longer, it's a, it's a harvest celebration. It's a, uh, a celebration of the ending of the dry season and the coming of the rain season. And um, it's also a celebration of the coming winter darkness. And, and it's in this moment where Jesus says, I am the light of the world in John 8. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of the world. Of life. And so, so Jesus ties himself to God by saying, I'm the light of the world. You want to see what is light, in other words, not diluted with evil, hatred, untruth, ignorance, or hostility. You can look to me. You want to know how to follow and how to walk in a manner that is in the light. You can look to me because I am the light of the world. Light, light does many things for us. It, it exposes darkness. It provides us the ability to see. It, in the ancient world, it would provide warmth. Uh, in, in, depending on your context, it can ward off predators. Simply put, people are made to walk in the light. We're made to walk in the light. This is a light. I have this light with me as you can tell. Um, And it's a decently bright light. That's your warning. As we plug it in and we turn it on. All right. Hey, how do you like the lights on yet? I won't do that to you all morning long. Simply put, people are made for light. Light, there we go. In contrast to darkness, darkness which should be somewhat self-explanatory by now, is also an image used throughout the Scripture. It it describes those things that are tainted and diluted with evil, that are tainted and diluted with the things of this world, the systems of this world, the evilness of this world, all all things that are lying in untruth, uh, ignorance, hostility, anger. All of those things could be described as darkness. When you walk in the dark... You walk in that manner, is what John is saying. Um, David and Noah, would, you do, would one of you do me a favor? Would you completely turn off the lights in here? All right, we almost have the lights off. Do you notice the difference? Now, if you were to walk around, and you were to come in here, and you were to try and find your wallet that you left uh, the Sunday before, you might have a hard time finding it in an environment like this. Sometimes we have this, people come in, they start looking and looking and looking and looking. And so the first thing I do is I say, can I turn on some light for you? Hey, this is kind of fun. (sighs) Let's turn on the other lights, I don't wanna blind you. Whoa, do you notice the difference? If you were to go searching for something, you would want to have light on because we're made for light, our eyes are made for light. Now, I I was talking to a friend this week, and she was giving me some insight into the physiology of the human eye. And one of the things she said is that the eye is an incredible thing. It can adapt quite, quite broadly to... an. Er- to a darkening environment. In other words, you could walk around at your house at night, not wanna have to turn on the light. You might know where some things are by sensory, but eventually like your, your eyes, after about 45 minutes, they reach this maximum ability of being able to kinda figure out where some stuff is. But if you're walking in darkness for a long time, one of the things about darkness is it can be really disorienting. I, I was reading a report earlier this weekend and it was a story about a couple of people who were doing a test to see the effects of darkness on them. And so they each went down into a different cave and they spent a good amount of time down there. It was like one person made it 80 some odd days. The other person made it 120 days. Um, and when they came up, they thought it was February and it was really March. They, they, one of them made a pet mice, a, a friend, you know, because it's like down there, there's no one, there's nothing because darkness is very isolating. It's, it's very, um, it, it's something that can close in on you really quickly. We are people made for light. It's kind of like um, when, when, um, when you have young kids, one of the things you quickly find on your floor are small toys. And um, one of the times in which it is not opportune to find small toys is in the middle of the night when you don't know they're there. How many of you have ever stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night? Yes, oh my goodness, it hurts. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be big, it just has to be there. And you step down and you're in a lot of pain. If you'd had light on, you would have known where it was and known to walk a different way. God is light. There is absolutely no darkness in Him. What this means, in part, is that when we are called to live a certain way, We are called to walk in the light of Christ. We're called to walk in the light of Christ. But very quickly, we decide sometimes that darkness is preferable. We we, we walk in ways that are anti-God, and we say, oh, but I really just want to do this. But what we don't realize is lurking behind that shadow is trouble. And even that shadow itself is something that has separate us from, separated us in fellowship from God. When I was a... Um, I'll tell that story in a minute. Um, so talking about fellowship for just, for just a moment, look it with me at verses um, 6 and 7. Here's our first if we say clause. If we say we have fellowship with Him, yet we walk in darkness... We are lying and not practicing the truth, okay? Um, notice, what John is primarily concerned about is not just their beliefs, but their walk. Their walk is their manner of living. It has to do with how you walk through your day, how you live through your day, and, and how you respond to the situations that face you. He, he, says, um, he says, if you walk in darkness and you say that you're, you're experiencing fellowship with God, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. For, for, for John he's basically saying it's really difficult to have fellowship with God while living a life that pursues darkness or sin because God is light. There's no darkness in him. And so it's a natural repellent. It's, it's a black and a white. Um, for John, either you pursue the light, which I would define as righteous living in the power of the Holy Spirit, or you pursue darkness, unholy living that satisfies your flesh. And John says, to walk in darkness while claiming that it is light is to lie. <laughs> he, he does not hold a punch. It, it is to lie. Now, um, when I was a kid, one of the things um, that I had responsibility for was mowing the lawn okay? Um, My my parents had a decently good tractor. It's about the size of the piano over here, and behind it was a six-foot mowing deck. It's an Oliver tractor, for those of you who who care about that kind of stuff. They're the best, in my opinion. Uh, We won't go down that whole rabbit hole right now. But um, So I'm mowing the lawn. My my parents have four or five acres of grass, and there's a section of lawn that I was mowing that day, and it's the hill back behind the house. And once you start going down this hill, your tractor's big enough, you're moving fast enough that you're going no matter what. There's no stopping on the hill. So I'm I'm getting ready to go down this hill. And one of the things I was doing is I was listening to a, a compact disc CD player okay? I don't know why I did that, because we didn't carry them like that back then. Um, For those of you who don't know what a compact is, CD player, it plays like a music CD, and you have headphones. And for those of you who still have no idea what I'm talking about, young people, think of a really ancient iPod, okay? Take your iPod and make it bigger, and make it less uh, battery-friendly, and in And every time you hit a bump, it causes the song to skip. You know, these were great things back in the day. But it was the only one we had. Other than that, you wanted to listen to music, you were in the house or in the car. So I'm going along, mowing the lawn, listening to the ancient iPod, and I'm going down this hill, and all of a sudden, this ancient iPod is nowhere to be found, all right? It had fallen. I have no idea how it happened, but it fell, and it fell behind me. Which, you remember, I'm mowing, and this is a big tractor. The wheels are this high, the mower deck is this big. And next thing I know, anybody know what I heard? Exactly. I ran over the CD player with the mower. Needless to say, it did not survive at all. (laughs) At all. So, me being the bright 12-year-old that I was, I was like, ooh, I don't want to face Dad with this one. Oh, I'm going to be in trouble with this one. So I did, of course, one of the worst things you could possibly do. I took this mangled CD player, ancient iPod, working on translation here, um, and headphones that were all messed up. And I went and I hid it behind the uh, bookshelf in the house. (laughs) The bookshelf in the house is where I decided to hide this thing uh, because I didn't want to face the music. Now, I don't remember if I wasn't allowed to have it out there or if I just felt bad because I destroyed the only portable Discman in the house. Um, But I didn't want to share that, so I hid it. And a couple weeks later, you know, my my parents didn't really ask because they didn't use it every day, but one day I was asked, hey, do you know where this CD player is? And I was like, nope, I have no idea, (laughs) you know. And and, and I bold-faced lied to my parents' face. bold-faced lie. That's what that means. I was walking in darkness. I was walking in darkness. Um, Unbeknownst to my parents, they had no idea that I was culpable for it at that time. Um, Unbeknownst to them, I walked in darkness. I lied saying that I had no responsibility when I was not practicing the truth. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light results in two things. The first is fellowship. You could define fellowship as close relationship with God and with fellow believers. But here's the thing about fellowship. Fellowship is both vertical and it's horizontal. Meaning the relationship that you have with God affects your vertical or affects your horizontal relationship with God's people. Likewise, your relationship horizontally with God's people affects your vertical relationship with God. Why does this matter? Well, when we have broken relationships because of sin with each other or with God, we must seek biblical forgiveness and reconciliation for that fellowship to be restored. Now, in lying to my dad that day, I had a broken fellowship with God. I'd lied. I'd committed sin. But I also had a broken relationship with my dad. Now, he didn't know it, <laughs> but I did. Because anytime he would start to talk anywhere near music, I'd be like, let's change the topic to what a great tractor we have. Uh, or let's change to this. Or I would just try to avoid. Because here's what sin does sin tends to avoid. It, it, it tends to make excuses, and it tends to say, that's not really what happened. Oh, it's really okay. It's not a big deal. But sin, missing the mark of what God has called us to do, sin is sin. And it breaks fellowship both with God and with others. But, but notice, um, God knows that, and he provides a way for us to have restored fellowship. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can be separated from God and yet come to Jesus because his blood has covered your sins. John knows that in a community, people do harm against one another, sometimes intentionally and sometimes not. But regardless, he also says, where, where there's been sin, grace abounds all the more. That's a Paul phrase. Um, Paul says, shall we go sinning so that grace may abound? He says, heaven forbid. Right? Where, where there's sin, grace abounds all the more. Look with me. Uh, we'll, we'll, well, let's talk about this for a minute. Um, there's some implications to this that are important. For example, I've heard people say, say before to me, um, I, I don't need to gather with the church. I can have church at the lake on my mountain, or I can watch it online. Now, there's sometimes something refreshing, sometimes with, with health issues and stuff, that, 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 that's perfectly fine. But nothing replaces the body of Messiah gathered to help one another follow Jesus. One of the ideals for relationship is so that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds, as the scriptures say, or that we can encourage one another, speaking to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in our hearts to God. There are reasons why God says, gather frequently, gather around my word, be in the light together, because when we do that together, we help each other in our walks with Jesus. Now, a good way to test your relationship with God might be for you to ask this question. God, how's my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Sure, we have personalities that clash. We have people that we may not naturally click with. But if there's been sin in the past that is left undealt, it leads to a buildup of darkness. Darkness. And that darkness impacts the body and it impacts the relationship that we all have with God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, if you're offering your gift at the altar, there you remember that your brother has something against you. He says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. The vertical and the horizontal relationship are integrally tied when it comes to following Jesus. Sometimes we use this analogy with pre-marriage couples. Um, And I learned this from Dan Seaboard many years ago. Imagine a triangle. At the top, you have God. At the bottom, you have the spouses, husband and wife. The more the husband and wife grow towards God, they inevitably grow towards one another. And it's like that within the body of Christ. The more that we grow towards Jesus, the more he shows us sin, and the more we are ready and willing to be reconciled with one another. And so John is, John is addressing this claim to fellowship. Hey, we've got fellowship, but they're walking in darkness. And he says, you're lying, not practicing the truth. He says, walk in the light, and you will have fellowship with one another. I, I love his emphasis. It's not just on fellowship with God. Um, notice with me in verse 3. He says, what we've seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship matters to John. Um, Look with me at the next phrase here. Um, Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, those making this claim apparently believed that they had either reached a point where they no longer personally committed sin because they'd grown beyond it, or maybe they believed that their struggle with sin was no longer active in this present life, or maybe they just redefined what sin was. Uh, But regardless, they were deceived. He says, if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourselves, and the truth is not in you. The other day, we asked uh, our youngest son, Asaf to wash his hands. He's, he's learning to master potty training, and we are excited about that. And he's doing an awesome job. We said, hey, buddy, wash your hands. And he had this look on his face that said, ooh, am I going to follow what they said or am I not? <laughs> you know, sometimes kids just don't like to wash their hands. It's good public health policy. Um, but so we, we asked again. We said, hey, buddy, would you wash your hands? And he goes, But mom, I'm kind. (laughs) We're like, we're so thankful, buddy, that you're kind. Wash your hands. You need to. They're dirty. Sometimes we intentionally change the subject in order to focus on a different topic. Uh, we, We might seek to minimize an area of our life that is contrary to God's teaching. Maybe this morning you find yourself, kind of like Asaph, wanting to divert away from the issue at hand, saying, you know, I'm pretty good. I don't do... Enter the blank. There's a man. His name is David. You might know him as David. David is a very, very popular person in the Bible. He has quite a story. Uh, I won't tell all of it to you. Uh, he was called a man after God's own heart, and in many ways he followed the Lord in ways unlike the kings that had come before him. The king that had come before him, namely uh, namely Saul. Uh, but David runs into a section of his life where he faces some difficulty. In the year where kings go out to war, um, David did not go out to war. And instead, he finds himself in the palace, and he sees a beautiful woman, a couple palaces, or town, things over. He, he looks, and he says, I, I, I need to have a relationship with her. David goes on to commit um, unholy uh, acts, with this person named Bathsheba. And in the course of this, he begins down a path of darkness. Darkness, darkness, darkness. He, he lies about it. He um, finds a way, after finding out her husband was one of his, military, uh, one of his uh, military officers, one of his great fighting men, he finds a way to have him kind of killed in the line of duty. Um, and he takes her to be his wife. David, the man after God's own heart, had severely broken fellowship with God because of his sin. And he, he was, at, at least as far as we know at this point, less aware of it. He was perfectly willing to go down this path. These were choices that he had made. One day, there's a man named Nathan who comes to David. Nathan was a prophet in Israel. And he comes to David, and, and he was there to essentially call David to account for his sin. But he doesn't just say, David, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. He says, I want to tell the king a story. There's a story of two men. One's a rich man, one's a poor man. One had many sheep, the other only had one. One day, the, um, the rich man had a guest coming to his home, and he wanted to kill the, the lamb so that his guest could eat. I'm showing really good Middle Eastern hospitality. And, but he didn't want to kill his own lamb. He he didn't want to make dinner out of what he had. He instead took the one lamb of the poor man. He slaughtered that lamb and he made that lamb his guest's meal. What, What a way to show hospitality, right? David was so incensed that there would be a man in Israel who would do this. He just goes off. And then Nathan says to him these words You are that man. You are that man. Because David sinned by taking Bathsheba and because he continued down this pattern of sin, he says, David, that's you. You, you think you're going down a way of light, but it's really a way of darkness. It's a, it's a way to satisfy your own cravings. It's a way to satisfy your own desires, but not a way to honor God. Because remember, God is light, and in him there is absolutely no darkness. In Psalm 51, though, we find these words of David it, it, it's a it's a prayer. It, it's it's a song, and I love how David writes um, the, these words because it's instructive for us. He says in verse one, "Be gracious to me, O God, according to your unfailing love." What David had experienced in the past about who God was was that God is rich in mercy; that He hears the cries of those who are poor and needy. He hears those who are crushed in spirit, who recognize that they have sinned against God, and he says, be gracious to me, God, according to your unfailing love. Blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. David is utterly conscious of the sin that he had committed, and he goes to God to confess. Later, he says in verse 10, God, created in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. David recognizes that the only way to be made right from sin is God. And John says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. But in verse 9, he says this, and you probably know this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, this is the glory of the gospel. Each one of us, at one point in our life or another, we have sinned and we have fallen short of God's glory. The Bible says that there is no one who is righteous. No, not one. But if you've come to Jesus and you've said, God, here is my sin. You've you've owned the fact that you ran over an ancient iPod with a tractor. You come to God and you say, God, here is my sin. The promise of Scripture is this. He is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, see God never minimizes sin. The glory of the gospel is that when we confess, we're brought back into relationship, a renewed relationship with God. Um, there's two ways that scholars understand this passage, this popular verse. The first way is, of course, the truth of the gospel. When we confess our sins, we come to God. We trust that what Jesus has done through his death and his resurrection is sufficient to pay for our sin. When we come into faith with God, we are, as the scripture says, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But there's another way that scholars understand this, and that's in the context of a relationship relationship. When, when I sinned against my dad, I didn't cease to be his child. But my relationship with my dad changed. Maybe he didn't realize it, but I certainly did. And until it was made right, that relationship was still, ugh, at least to me it was. And when we confess sin to those whom we have sinned against and to God... We're restoring relationship. Now, it doesn't mean that there may not be a long path to restoration because some sins run deep and the effects of them run deep. Just ask David, if you continue to read his story, the effects of his sin with Bathsheba go on and on and on. He he was right with God with his confession, but the effects of sin went deep. I was talking with a friend this week, and we're talking about this passage, which is one of the great things about being in the same part in the text together. And and I asked him how he would define fellowship, and I absolutely loved what he said. He said this, and I have it on the, the screen for you Being known and not keeping things hidden. Being known and not keeping things hidden. To have fellowship with God means that we say, God, here is all of my darkness. I'm coming to the one who is all light. God, show me where there's any more sin in me. Because God, I, don't, I want to be known. And I don't want to keep things hidden. And that's our relationship with God. And that's our relationship with each other too. As is appropriate. And, and so let's look at the next phrase. Uh, verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We might be tempted to say, who says that they have not sinned? But we must remember how John began the discussion. God is light. He is truth. He is moral goodness. There is absolutely no darkness in him. And there are moments in our lives where we may be tempted to justify what God calls sin and excuse it as being less than sin. Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, uh, I didn't really mean to. There's a um, this past week I was at a, a prayer breakfast in Holland, and the guy who was speaking did a just fantastic job. And one of the things he quoted is he quoted a sermon from Dr. Martin Luther King. This is in 1963 in Cincinnati, Ohio. But I have this for you because sometimes in our culture we say we haven't sinned, and what Dr. King does for us in a in a helpful way is he helps us recognize that even however many years ago that was, there's darkness all around us. To, to, to say we haven't sinned is really to say, God, you're a liar. What you call sin is not sin. And, and it becomes a redefining of terms. It goes like this. Dr. King writes, or he speaks, it's also midnight within the moral order. He's already built a case for a couple of different things. But he says, At midnight, colors lose their distinctiveness, and they become a sullen shade of gray. Moral principles have lost their distinctiveness. For modern man, absolute right and wrong are a matter of what the majority is doing. Right and wrong are relative to likes and dislikes in the customs of a particular community. We have unconsciously applied Einstein's theory of relativity, which properly described the physical universe to the moral and ethical realm. Midnight, darkness, is the hour when men desperately seek to obey the 11th commandment, thou shalt not get caught. According to the ethic of midnight, he says, the cardinal sin is to be caught and the cardinal virtue is to get by. It is all right to lie, but one must lie with real finesse. It is all right to steal if one is so dignified that if caught, the charge becomes embezzlement, not robbery. It is permissible even to hate if one so dresses his hating in the garments of love that hating appears to be loving. The Darwinian concept of the survival of the fittest has been substituted by a philosophy of the survival of the slickest. The, this mentality has brought a tragic breakdown of moral standards and the midnight of moral degeneration deepens. This is what he writes in 1963, how we redefine terms, how how we ap- apply relativity to things. And we say, well, it's not really that, it's this. The reason John starts with God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him is because if we don't start with who God is and what God has done and what what God... Has said, we quickly lose our way in the darkness. And we start saying, this is not dark, this is actually light. When all the while, we stub our toe because we stepped on a Lego in the dark. John finishes this section out by writing these words. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. He doesn't want people to sin. And I love how he says, my little children. This is Pastor John, okay? This is, this is the man who walked with Jesus, who saw the Word in flesh, who, who, who had to be taught day by day, week by week, year by year, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? He says, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Advocate is a really interesting term here. Advocate is one who leads, sorry, one who lends his presence to his friends. It's one who comes, and if you're in trouble, he comes in and he stands next to you. And he stands next to you. One of the ways that this is used is like within a legal setting. He stands next to you to help to plead your case. Notice the context. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have one who lends his presence to you with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, Jesus being a righteous one does not mean that Jesus is going to um, think of sin any more lightly than he did earlier. In fact, he alone perfectly judges righteously, but he goes to the Father and he intercedes to the Father on our behalf and he says, they're my children, they've come to faith. I know they have sinned. My 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 blood has covered their sin. It goes on, verse 2. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Now, atoning sacrifice is an interesting word. Yours might have propitiation, a really big word as well. It's this idea It means to make people once again fit to enter into fellowship with God, is how William Barclay defined it. It means to make people once again fit to enter into fellowship with God. Jesus' goal is to have fellowship with us, and for us to have fellowship together. How do we do that? Well, where there is sin, grace runs deeper, but Jesus goes before us, and he advocates But not only has he advocated, he advocates based upon his atoning work that makes us right with God. The only way that we can have fellowship with God this morning is by coming to faith that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again. That's what the scripture says. And and, and we find life in his name. And so just a couple of questions briefly for you here. Where is there darkness in your life? that you need to confess. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, you've already dedicated your life to Christ, you have already trusted that God's, um, God's atoning sacrifice is sufficient, bless the Lord. Where's there sin in your life that you need to confess today to have a renewed relationship with God? Because you can still be God's child and you can still be separated from God in a relational sense because of sin. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus at all as your Savior. This is a day where you can say, God, I confess. I'm a sinner, and I come to Jesus to, for his righteousness that comes to the work that he has done on the cross. Where is there darkness in your life? Where does God want you to mend a broken relationship because of sin? Where, where does God want you to, to not go down this path that is being more dimly, dimly lit, which is really darkness, and walk instead in the light of his truth. As we close this morning, we're going to sing a couple songs in a minute, but as we close, what I want to give you is the opportunity to have a few moments for confession. Confession. Confession is a long-standing practice in the Scripture and in the church history where, where we honestly say, God, search my heart. Show me where there's any wicked way in me. And God, lead me in the way that is everlasting. And so I'm going to give you a couple minutes here just to spend before God, and then we're going to celebrate the redemption that we have in Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope that we have and your sacrifice. Thank you, God, for making us right with you through your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Thank you, God, that by believing, we, we have life in your name. And God, we ask for a, a, a deeper fellowship with you, a deeper fellowship with one another so that we, we could be known and so that we can know Lord, may we not settle for lesser things. May may we earnestly desire to walk with you. May we desire that which is light. May we flee that which is darkness. So that as our light goes out into the world, people might see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. We bless you, O Lord our God, for salvation today, for forgiveness today. God, I'm thankful that no matter our path, there is always forgiveness. No matter what we have done, there's always healing, and there's always hope in the name of Jesus. God, there's no sin. There's no sin that your son did not cover in his death. Give us the freedom today in your spirit to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received as your children. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check out fbczealand.org or call us at 616 772 4377.